Yo, what's up, guys? Happy, happy Friday. Hope you had a great week and are ready for a great weekend. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of boxing to talk about this specific weekend because it's Final Four. Everybody in America is going to be watching the March Madness going on in New Orleans. So, um, yeah, I mean, if, if I was a boxing promoter, I wouldn't want to go up against this weekend either, you know? So, yeah, that's what's up, man. We don't have a lot to talk about this weekend. However, this whole month, man, starting next weekend, it's looking great. And then we got a bunch of fights to look forward to, really all the way through June. So, so we got Jack Alter on the chat. What's up, Jack? How you doing, brother? Um, you guys go ahead and uh, hit that uh, thumbs up button. But so so real quick, yeah, I'm just looking at the schedule over here to my right. Um, next weekend, next Saturday, April 9th, we got Golovkin Murata in Japan, of course. And then here in the States, uh, Ryan Garcia is back. And, you know, it's, it's always interesting to see him and uh, how he looks. Hopefully he fights three or four times this year. Not a super great fight, but, you know, it's interesting to watch the kid because there's so much potential. But next, next Saturday, April 16th in Texas, Errol Spence with Jordanus Ugas. And they're going to unify welterweight belts. I hate that that's on pay-per-view, but it's a pretty damn good fight. The following Saturday, April 23rd, in London, it's on pay-per-view here in the States, which I hate, but a really good fight between Tyson Fury and Dillian White. Tyson Fury, you know, other than Klitschko and Wilder, he hasn't fought any top 10 heavyweights. So going up against Dillian White, who's a top 10, maybe top 5 heavyweight right now, that's a good fight for him. My biggest complaint with Fury, he hasn't fought enough top heavyweights. This fight will go a long way to changing that. The following Saturday, April 30th, we got two good ones. We've got uh, Shakur Stevenson, Oscar Valdez in Las Vegas on regular ESPN, thank God. And then also we've got uh, on the zone that same night in New York, Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano. And I don't care how you feel about women's boxing, you got to admit that's a damn good matchup. Probably, very likely, you can make the argument it's the best matchup in the history of women's boxing on a pound-for-pound scale, just in terms of skills, experience, craft, all that. Maybe not star power as much, but definitely in terms of skills. Then after that, the following Saturday, it continues, guys. The following Saturday, May 7th, on the zone, the zone pay-per-view, uh, Canelo Alvarez versus Dimitri Bevel. That's a damn good fight at 175. The following Saturday, May 14th, on regular showtime, thank God, Jermel Charlo and Brian Castaño doing their rematch for the undisputed junior middleweight championship of the world. That's a great fight. Two weeks after that, May 28th, well, we're not even going to talk about that fight because uh, that's shit. But you go uh, three weeks after Charlo Castaño 2 in Melbourne, Australia, June 4th. It'll be June 4th here. I think June 5th over there in Australia. George Cambosos versus Devin Haiti for the undisputed lightweight championship. That is a great schedule. And by the way, that's on regular ESPN here. What I love about this schedule, and we just found out so that we're going to get the rematch between Donaire and Inouye coming up too. That's not yet. Uh, I forgot to mention that, but that's on the schedule too. Um, that's in Japan. But what I love is that there's fights, obviously in the United States, right? You got fights in Texas, Vegas, New York, um, you know, all over the United States. But you also have fights over in Japan, over in London, over in Australia. You're getting fights all over the world, and these are good quality matchups. And it's it's awesome that we're getting to watch all this stuff 
here in the US of A. So I love that schedule coming up, man. That schedule is butter. You know what I'm saying? I love it. Uh, super chat for my man, Aaron. Thank you so much, Aaron. I appreciate that, brother. He says, hey, Mike, boo-boo's hype man here. <laughs> uh, they all duck in my boy. How do you think Booba would fare against Big Charlo? That's Jamal Charlo. David Benavidez, Caleb Plant, and uh, you say Charlo again. So I don't know if you mean Jamel Charlo. At 168, who Boo Boo fighting next? Well, we all know who is fighting next next. Uh, let, I want to make sure I get the date on this right. So I'm going to look it up real quick. Because um, I, I can't remember the exact date. It's uh, okay. May 21st over in England. He's fighting Zach Parker, which look, Zach Parker, look on the surface, you know, he hasn't really fought nobody, but he is 22 and 0, um, kind of a domestic level fighter from what I've seen so far. Has only left England once, and, or I should say the UK once, right? Um, and that was actually twice. No, twice. He's fought in Germany twice. So sorry about that. But um, this is a massive step up in opposition for him. Massive step up. So uh, let me see what his amateur record is, Zach Parker. Yeah, he has a loss to Joseph, Joshua Boazzi. I don't know, man. So, look, Bubu is going to do that fight. As far as I know, that's at um, 168. That's for an interim belt. He had the WBO at 160, so he can get lined up for a WBO Title shot if he applies for it, which he which he has. If he bids for it, that's the WBO rule. If he beats Zach Parker, technically he is in line to fight for the WBO title, which right now is held by Canelo Alvarez. So either Canelo ends up vacating later this year if he decides to stay at 175. It will that depends on how he does against Bevel, obviously. Uh, but he's got to fight against Gennady Golovkin at 168. So I don't think he's going to be dumping the belts just yet. But um, if he fights Golovkin later this year, I'm sure he's going to want to fight with the undisputed super middleweight championship on the line. And um, the winner of that fight will be in line to face Andre next, as I understand it, per the WBO rule. So the question will be, does the Canelo Golovkin three winner, assuming everything plays out the way it's scripted right now, uh, do they want to fight? Demetrius Andre. I don't know, brother. But to get to your question here, uh, look, against Charlo, Benavidez, Plant, against both Charlos, Benavidez, and Plant, I don't really know because um, he, none of them have fought anybody. The only one who's fought anybody is Jermel Charlo. Caleb Plant obviously just fought Canelo Alvarez, so that experience is going to make him a better fighter. Um, he has an advantage over uh, Jamal Charlo. Um, David Benavidez, he's got a, an advantage over those guys because he does have that experience against Canelo. Bubu has a tough, tough style. Okay. And on his best night, he gives any of those fighters the night of their life. And those are pick em fights, in my opinion. Um, the problem with him, I think the biggest problem is just lack of big fight experience and then lack of super duper punching power, which I think against a guy like Benavidez would really cost him. I think that'd really cost him. All right. Uh, you know, we already got a call here on the line. So uh, let's jump to this call real quick. And then um, we'll get back to some of your comments. All right. Cool. So let's jump right to it here. Uh, 317, what's up? You're on the line. Yo, what's up, Mike? It's Jack Alter. What's up, Jack? How you doing, man? Good. I just talked to you right before the show about Terrence Crawford, man. Yeah. His physical strength, that's insane. 
But anyways, uh, man, this guy said, who wins? Boo Boo versus uh, Big Charlo. Bro, I'll tell you who. Big Charlo, KO1 Andre, Benavidez, KO1 Andre. Damn. <laughs> KO1 Andre. <laughs> <laughs> Jack's opinion is on the record. <laughs> Uh, no, yeah, no, look, I, yeah, I think you'd have to favor those guys, but I don't know, man. Uh, Andre does have a tough style, but he just ain't fought nobody. It's hard to say. <sighs> I think he does have some power, Andre. He does have some freaky, yeah. like, weird, nowhere power. I do think he has that. Yeah, I know, I yeah, definitely I think he does have some some good power if he could set up shots that you don't see coming and everything. Absolutely. I agree with you. Yeah, real quick. I just wanted to say um, my my quick predictions. I got a list of the fights that are coming up here. I just want to name off my. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to list off who I think is going to win the fight real, real quick right here. So, Golovkin Morata. I think Golovkin will win KO eight or so. Uh, Garcia uh, for here to go. That's what Steve Kim says. Um, I probably got to say Garcia. I don't know enough about uh, to go. Uh, Lubin Fundora, dude, Lubin should kill Fundora. That dude, that dude's like uh, six foot eight, has no like skill at all. Um, Spence Ugas, I got Ugas. Uh, ben and Van Herden, I, dude, I could see Van Herden for the upset. Connor Ben doesn't like impress me much. And then, uh, Canelo Bivol, you already know, Bivol should win that, uh, pretty handily. Uh, Taylor Serrano, fun fight, I don't know. Uh, Fury versus White. Dude, I'm telling you, I think White has a chance. He could knock uh, Fury out cold with a left hook. And uh, then, yeah, what are your opinion on some of those I just gave you right there? They're all possible. I mean, everything you just said is very, very possible. And I think that's what makes those fights intriguing, man. Um, what about what do you think about the Charlo Castaño rematch? Man, that's a that's a good one. But for me, as much as I hate to say it, I feel like Charlo might actually win the rematch because in the first one, I don't care what anyone says, that was a robbery. Castaño won that pretty handily, like pretty clearly. But I'm I'm getting the feeling that Charlo might just come in and like knock him out somewhere in there. So I don't know. What do you think about that one? Yeah, I think that I favor Charlo in that fight. I just do. I think he's got the establishment behind him and all of that. Obviously, we saw the scorecards for the first fight. That was really should have been a, um, a win for Castaño, but um, I think he's going to get it this time. I just do. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I was the one who said the first time I think Castaño is going to win. So, and then Donaire and Inouye too. That's going to be a good ass fight. I could see Donaire knocking him out somewhere in there. I could. I know that's controversial, but dude, Inouye seems like he's been declining a little bit ever since that. Like. Uh, what do you think about that? The, the decline in Inouye. He, he's he been inactive. He yeah, yeah, he's been inactive. Um, I'm trying to think, when's, when's this last fight? Let me look this up because I want to like make sure I get the date. Four right. months ago. Four yeah, months ago. he fought. Yeah, okay. So I'm looking. So he, you know, okay. To his credit, he fought. Um, he has fought like three times since the pandemic hit. It's just his opponents, you know, that fight against Maloney was pretty good. But then um, he fought uh, Bantamweight Michael Das Marinas, um, and that fight was over and real Aaron, quick. And then Aaron DPN. Yeah. Diaper. Diaper, yeah. <laughs> over in, in Japan. And, like, that. that's like, uh, yeah, I don't know, dude. I don't know what to think about that fight. So, he okay, he has been active. It's it's funny that I thought he had been inactive, and it's because he just hasn't fought the opponents, you know. But 
I look at who Donaire has been fighting. He's just been against better opponents. I think Nordin Ubali, that's a good win for him. And then Ray Marcabayo, that's that's a, a pretty good win too. I mean, it took a guy's O. So I, I'm intrigued with that fight, man. I think that's going to be fantastic. I actually think the rematch is going to be better than the first one. Dude, that's that's the controversial opinion because that first one was one of the best fights like I've ever seen. Yeah, that was a fucking amazing. And dude, you want to know the craziest thing? So uh, I was a senior in high school for that fight. Uh, that was when was that? 2019. Yeah, 2019. So it was history class, and because it was in Japan, it was like 9 a.m. And dude, the craziest thing happened. Like we were doing nothing in class that day, so he just said, "Okay, guys, you can just do what you want today." I don't know if it was like. Dude, that has never happened ever in my history class. That sounds but awesome. <laughs> that morning, somehow, isn't that fucking crazy? Dude, so I watched the fight the entire class. It was like 9 a.m. I was able to watch the entire fight that class. And, like, like I wanted to scream in little moments there. I was like, oh, my God. But everyone was let out quiet doing their own thing. But, dude, that was such a good fight. Oh, my God. That was such a good fight. That was fun, man. And it was on in the morning, so it was just it was just one of those cool like atmospheres. It's a little different, which kind of added to it, you yeah, know. It's gonna be like that for the Murata fight. Yeah. For the Triple G Murata fight. Yeah. Yeah. Jacob Torres says, uh, "Must be in April." Wait, where is it? He said it must be in April Fool's. Yeah. This guy literally just got all the fights the opposite way. Yeah, Jacob does not agree with your opinions. <laughs> Jacob yeah, well, does not I'm like your you, fight picks. I know my shit, don't I, Mike? You gotta say I'm 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 right most of the time. You've called you've called several of them lately, man. You've called them. So again, hey, the one I want to see, you've been calling Beevil over Canelo. Now we'll we'll find out, but you've been calling that. So so we'll see what happens. But if you get that one right, holy shit! I'm telling you, it's a fact, dude, Michael. I'm telling you, like right now, you're you're gonna be like, I don't know, he's gonna win, dude. I'm telling you, it's not gonna be up for debate. He's gonna win so many rounds against Canelo. He might even stop him late due to Styles. I'm telling you, dude. I'm telling you right here, right. You're on the record. Canelo's gonna lose that, dude. And I said everyone, uh, like 160 to 175, Canelo beats pretty much everyone there except Bivol. I've always said except Bivol. Bivol beats Canelo handily. Yeah, Aaron, I called uh, Canelo. Okay, Mike, this kid is really going out here on a limb with these picks. That's what Nacho says. Yeah, dude, I'm gonna be right. I'm telling you. Well, hey, that's the now, thing, dude. If you, if you're right, you get to rub it in. You get to tell everybody, you know, that you were right. So that's the beauty of it. Yeah, Michael Mindiola says, I agree with Alter. Bivol has the right style to be Canelo. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I'm, I'm mostly, like, listening to your calls now, so I might just hang up and uh, let the other people talk. But, yeah, man, those are my uh, picks for the fight. All right, Jack. I appreciate it, man. Have a great weekend, brother. Yeah, I'll be tuning in, man. Peace out. All right, peace. Yeah, before the show, Jack uh, sent me a, a tweet that somebody posted of Terrence Crawford deadlifting 415. Uh, he kind of jerked the weight a little bit. He, you know, his his form at the top, beginning of the weight, uh, beginning of the lift, I should say, wasn't great. But he he beasted 415 pretty easily. That's a good deadlift. That's a good deadlift, man. So uh, a guy his size throwing up 415. That's some good shit. The most I ever deadlifted, the most I ever tried was 500 pounds. And that's when I was working out like an animal, just lifting weights. I had a lot more muscle on my frame and I got 500, but um, that, I never tried anything more than that. But deadlift was always probably my best lift, uh, even though I'm tall. And they say, you know, tall guys uh, can't lift that a whole lot. 
for whatever reason, I did go with deadlift. Anyway, back to the phones we go. We got Nacho on the line here. Let's let's hear Nacho's picks. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm all right, Mike. How about yourself? Doing good, man. Um, doing good. As far as the as far as the picks, like I mean, you know, he he. In my opinion, I think he's reaching a little bit with a couple of them. The ones that I'm really kind of like scratching my head is the the Fury White pick. I mean, I give Dillian White a lot of credit as far as where he's gone in his career. I just don't see him being able to knock out Tyson Fury. That's crazy. Like, Fury literally would have to show up um, at his worst, in my opinion, to lose that fight by knockout. I mean, Deontay Wilder is a huge puncher, and he dropped him a bunch of times and wasn't able to put him away. I mean, are we supposed to believe Dillian White is a better puncher than Deontay Wilder? Like, what if he uh, is, though? I'm not seeing that. But what if, what, what if he is? What, I what mean, if, if he what, is... Go ahead. If he is and he lays out Fury, then I'll give Jack all the credit in the world. I'm just not convinced because, yeah. to me, um, he hasn't knocked anybody dead. I'm talking about White. He hasn't knocked anybody dead for me to believe he has that kind of fight-changing power. And not only that, he got laid out by Alexander Povetkin. Mm -hmm. So I think you got to take that into account that, you know, he doesn't have the greatest chin in the world and he doesn't have uh, one-punch fight-changing power for him to just be able to lay out like a Tyson Fury. But like I said, we'll see what happens with that. And then the other one with... uh, the Canelo pick, which I kind of figured he was going to go the opposite way. I mean, everyone has their reasons as to why, you know, they don't think Canelo can win that fight. I, I mean, I like B-Hall, don't get me wrong. I'm just not convinced, Mike, that he's going to, uh, you know, he's he's a tough style matchup, <clears throat> but I think they have enough time to game plan for B-Hall and to figure out what it is that he likes to do. And, and he's going to break him down. He's going to break him down the same way he broke down Callum Smith the same way he broke down Caleb Plant. That's what's going to happen to Bebo. I think eventually he's going to get him into deep waters and he's going to drown him because Bebo is a guy who, as far as like, he fights at his best the first, uh, you know, seven, eight rounds of a fight. But then uh, once it starts getting late, then you can start to see he gets a little tired. He gets a little less active. And I think that's going to be the perfect time for Canelo to go in there and really go after him at that point. But I mean, like I said, if Jack picks the right guys, I have no problem uh, admitting that I was wrong. You know, he, he has a right to his opinion, as does everyone else. Um, I just kind of wanted to touch on a few other things. Um, like the Donaire uh, Inouye rematch, I'm glad that fight finally got made. Um, I hope that the second one, like you said, Mike, is hopefully as good, if not better than the first one because the first one was such a damn uh, good fight that, you know, it deserves a rematch. Um, the only thing is, like, uh, Inoue has been active. I mean, he just fought in December, so it's not like he's been sitting on the shelf just waiting for another fight to, to be made. So he stayed somewhat relatively active. I just think the level of opponent hasn't really motivated him other than the Maloney fight where he looked awesome and he took Maloney apart. And I think he'll be motivated for this one because he knows that a lot of people kind of felt like, you know, he might have maybe kind of gotten the favorable decision in the first fight and, and Donaire hurt him and Donaire kind of cut him and bust him, busted him up a little bit. So I think he's I think he's going to be focused on going out there and proving that he is the better fighter of the two. 
So that's why I'm definitely um, excited to see that one again. Um, and then uh, the other thing was the whole thing with uh, Donaire. I mean, I'm sorry, not Donaire, sorry. Uh, Mungia and Jacobs possibly being made. Like, I'm super disappointed in that one, Mike. Like, I really thought that Mungia would get a title shot, whether it was Charlo or whether it was Janabek. I thought he was going to fight one of those two guys. And for neither of those two fights to be happening and he's getting Danny Jacobs, it's like, dude, really? Like, mm -hmm. is that what they're doing with this kid's career? Like, that's just, I don't know. I'm not a fan of that fight. Um, I don't care if it if it ends up being at 68, although they have talked about a catch weight. But regardless, to me, I think Danny's on the way down and I don't really see Mungia, you know, he's not going to get the credit he should if he had been a, a prime Danny Jacobs. He's just beating a guy who's going to be a name at this point. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely disappointed that that's going to, that sounds like it's going to be his next fight. Um, and then uh, the um, other thing I was going to bring up was uh, the whole thing with um, <clears throat> Charlo and Castaño. Um, I think, like you said, Mike, I think Charlo's being favored because it's on American soil and, you know, they want him to win because as the American fighter, they can market him a lot better. I just honestly think that Castaño isn't just going to show up to roll over for this dude. Mm -hmm. I think he's going to learn from what he did wrong in the first fight. And I think he's going to figure out a way to try to, to win that fight. Um, you know, he, he, Charlo has had a better career than his brother has at 160, but I'm just wondering, how many more times can he keep making 154 without any issues? He's getting older. You know, he's talked about eventually moving up to 60. So I'm wondering, is he going to be able to make 54 one more time without having any problems making 54? Like, that's really the biggest question mark to me as far as, like, if he, if he makes 54 with no issues, then maybe he wins that fight. But if he has any kind of trouble making 54, I think Castaño is a live dog in that fight, no matter what. Um, and then uh, there was, what was it that I was going to bring up? Uh, oh, yeah. And then I know everyone's excited about, well, not excited, but just happy that finally we get some resolution with uh, Cambosos and Haney finally being done. Um, my only issue, Mike, is, and, I, and I've kind of gone back and forth with certain people on, on Twitter over this, I think people are just giving Haney too much credit for this um, fight being made. Like, to me, he had literally talked his way out of this fight, and Lomachenko had gotten the fight because he he cause he consented to all of Cambosos' demands, and that's why he got the fight. The only reason Haney got this fight was because Loma decided that what's going on right now in the real world takes precedent over his boxing career, yeah. which I totally respect. But some people out here are just acting like, like Haney literally went out of his way to to agree to what Cambosos uh, wanted, and I'm thinking, no, he really didn't, because he had talked his way out of the fight in the beginning. In reality, he just got the fight because of the fact that Loma decided that he wasn't going to fight. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm really just kind of like flabbergasted that some people are out here going out of their way to give Haney all this credit. And I'm like, wait a minute, like, was this not the same guy whose father said that this fight would sell out a stadium in the U.S.? 
And the same guys who were saying, oh, we're not traveling to Australia. If that fight happens, it's going to be here in the in the U.S. Like, now all of a sudden, he agrees to everything Loma agrees to, and everyone's giving him a pat on the back. Like, something's wrong with this picture. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. You know? So, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, it's so, interesting that yeah. the, the people that are giving – Listen, I give Haney credit because ultimately he agreed to do it. And there's a lot of kids his age that aren't doing it. I can't see Javante Davis or Ryan Garcia agreeing to do what he just did. Uh, maybe Garcia, but definitely not Davis. So I give him that much credit. But uh, the same people that are just like slobbing all over Haney's dick right now didn't say a fucking thing when Lomachenko agreed to all those terms up front. And that fight between us guys, that fight was agreed to months ago, months ago between the two of them. Mm -hmm. They were just ironing out details. Uh, They were talking about Haney and even Garcia and stuff in the media, but they wanted Lomachenko. That's the fight that they truly wanted. And that's what they were negotiating behind the scenes. So um, it's just funny the way, you know, people spin things because, um, Lomachenko had agreed to everything Haney just agreed to months ago. It, it was one conversation, essentially. They just had to iron out details. Um, people just, I don't know, dude, they, they have blinders on. It just is what it is. Yeah, it, it's just blatant, blatant disrespect uh, for guys like Loma. And they literally are cheering so hard for somebody like Haney, who, like I, I said, I think the kid has talent. But to me, I think he's been managed very carefully to get to this point where he's at right now to get to a Cambosos and an undisputed uh, lightweight title shot because his resume is very, very questionable. And his last two fights before Cambosos, you beat an old Inaris who hurt you and you literally had to hang on in order to win that fight. And then mm-hmm. you beat a smaller Jojo Diaz who, was never really right. 135 pounder. He's getting way too much credit for those two fights. I, I, I exactly. mean, exactly. To to take it back to Adam Abramovitz, um, you know, on Twitter the other day, where I, I talked about on TNC this week, um, like guys like him are just giving Haney way too much credit for those two wins. They're good wins for a prospect, but not for a world title holder. Mm-hmm. And they're definitely not going to prepare him for this yeah. fight. So I agree with you there. Exactly. Yeah. And then just one last thing, uh, Mike. Um, I saw something uh, last week um, about Prograce had uh, told somebody, he had told a reporter on Twitter that Josh Taylor, it looks like is going to vacate the belt at 40 and move up. And he was talking about he thinks he's going to get a shot at the vacant WBC title against uh, Jose Cepeda. And if that's true, sign me up for that fucking yeah. fight. Cause that's that's a great gonna be fight. a really good fight. Yeah, yeah. Like I really hope that fight does happen. I really like both, both of those, those guys, fighters, man. Those are two of my favorite guys yeah. in the lower divisions. I love both of those fighters. So, yeah. To me, having those two guys fight for one of those belts, I mean, like I said, no matter where that fight takes place, uh, I mean, that's a great fight to be made if Taylor does walk away and move up to uh, one forty-seven. So, you know. All right, Mike. That's my call. All right, Nacho. Have a good weekend, brother. All right. You too. All right, peace. There he goes. Um, I'm just checking out some of your uh, comments, guys. Uh, Benjamin says, I never understood the point of deadlifts. Way too dangerous. There are other top exercises for your back. 
That's the thing, Benjamin. Uh, the deadlift really isn't a back exercise. Of course, you utilize your back. But if you do deadlifts the correct way, you literally work every single muscle group. It is the best overall lift for power and explosiveness that you can do. If you do deadlifts along with squats um, and power cleans, um, and of course, bench press and overhead press help as well. But I mean, really those five lifts, dude, that is all you need to do. The problem is 99% of people doing deadlifts do not do them right. The first half of a deadlift is essentially a squat. So if you do it the correct way, your arms are perfectly straight, not bent. Uh, your back is upright, your butt's down. Uh, there are different ways to do it. And some people, depending on your um, just like your the anatomy you have, the way you're built, your, the way your limbs are built. Some people do better with sumo deadlifts. Some people do better with their legs more narrow. So you got to find the way that works for you. But you shouldn't just be feeling deadlifts in your lower back. You should feel them in your butt, your legs, uh, your traps. Even your core and stomach should be real tight when you do them. Your shoulders, all of it, man. I'm telling you, deadlifts are good, good stuff. And if you're not doing them and not doing squats, you're going to end up injuring yourself later on if you play sports because those lifts are, are where a lot of power comes from. Uh, Chad says, Bud's form is good on that lift. It's good. It's not perfect. You should never jerk the weight at the start of a deadlift. They call it a deadlift because you're supposed to lift it dead off the ground. You don't jerk and then pull. Uh, a lot of people, too, bounce the weight when they do deadlifts, which does have to work for you. The guys will load up the plates on the bar, just bounce it off the ground, and they think they're really doing something. It's all bullshit. That, that weight should come all the way down, and you should start from a completely dead state on your next uh, rep. That's why they're deadlifts, right? But overall, yeah, Bud's form was pretty good. And he was just screwing around. I mean, obviously, you guys could see from that video I shared. I'll share it again real quick uh, for those of you who just might be jumping on. Um, yeah, check this out, man. So um, so right here, you know, his arms are a little bit. He's got his butt down real good, though. His arms are a little bent, and then he jerks at the beginning of that weight. Or no, I'm sorry, the beginning of the lift. That's really it. Besides that, that's a really, really, really good form. Uh, his legs, feet are in the right place. Uh, his hands are good. He's got one over, one under. He's got his butt down, back up. Uh, he kind of pops his butt up a little bit. There's a few things that he could clean up, but that's overall, that's a pretty damn good lift, man. And for him to just be screwing around and throw up 415, that means he probably gets my max easy. And like I told you before, my max was 500, which is more than most men can deadlift. Obviously, I would say Bud can do that pretty, pretty easily. Uh, based on what I just saw in that video. So uh, Trent Nampereo with an interesting comment. He says, Dillian White knocks Wilder out and all of Wilder's former opponents except Fury. Listen, there are a lot of people out there who feel that way. And that's to me, that's the greatest tragedy of this current heavyweight division. We're never really going to know how good Deontay Wilder really was. I personally feel he was vastly overrated by the American media for several different reasons that I can get into, some political and some non-political. I won't, I won't do that. But I'm just saying, I, I do think, obviously, he had dynamite in the right hand. But that's it. His left hook wasn't particularly good. Uh, his jab was nice when he used it, but he only used it in one fight that I can think of. He used it in that first fight with Stavern and the first round of his third fight with Fury. And that was it. Um, throughout his whole damn career. That was it. Can't fight backing up. He has no lateral movement. Um, uh, chin, he's chinny. He's, he's been dropped and hurt and buzzed 
by sea level opposition several times throughout his career. But one thing Wilder has is tremendous heart and determination, uh, especially if he's fighting certain fighters. He's going to have a little more anger inside of him that's going to propel him in a certain way and um, carry him through when he's when he's if he's hurt or something. And, and that X factor, that chip on his shoulder that he brings, um, is going to make him kind of a. You just never know what to expect. So against him and White, I don't know who I'd pick in that fight with White. There are flashes where he really looks like a really good heavyweight, but he's so inconsistent. He's up and down his weight. He gets lazy. He has lulls in the ring where he gets caught. Should have never been caught the way he was caught against Povetkin, up on the ropes, squared up like that. Uh, it was just a beautiful move by a veteran in Povetkin who just outsmarted him. The way the that fight was going before that knockout is the way it should have finished, right? Because White was controlling that fight. Um, I think he had Povetkin down twice, I think. If, correct me if I'm wrong, before that knockout. Anyway, White is just so inconsistent. So it's, it's hard for me to say. And what sucks is these guys never fought each other. PBC and the WBC kind of had their Wilder protection plan going. And Wilder fought his little own league of heavyweights. And then everybody else fought each other. So on the other side of things, you know, Anthony Joshua, Dillian White, um, Joseph Parker, and I could keep going. These guys all fought each other. So like we knew who we know who they are because we've seen them in with each other and they've lost some, won some. But with Wilder, we never we just never saw that. So I just don't know what to say. But I will say with I will say this, Trent. I agree with you that White would knock out every single one of Deontay Wilder's opponents. The only one I think that would obviously give him any trouble would be Luis Ortiz. And Ortiz, like Povetkin, being a tricky kind of veteran guy, not that I'd say Ortiz is anywhere near as good as Povetkin because he never was, but he was a tricky, crafty veteran kind of fighter. That's how, that's how he is. So he could maybe set White up and catch him with something, especially because White could show up fat, out of shape, and just fall asleep in the ring like he did. Um, Aaron with a good question. He says, Mike, uh, do you think Otto Valin is better than Dillian White? I have nothing to base that on, Aaron, other than um, just the eye test. I do think Otto Valin is, is perhaps a little bit underrated, but I just want to pull up his resume real quick and make sure that I have this correct. I, I mean, I'm just looking. He has fought absolutely nobody, dude, except for Tyson Fury. And I, I thought that was a 10 rounds to two, nine rounds to three kind of fight. A lot of people thought that was like a draw real close. I just, that's not the fight that I saw. I saw Dillian White winning the rounds, but Valine was such an underdog that um, I think it shocked people that he actually bloodied up Fury a little bit and had some moments in that fight. But to me, that was, it was almost a, di a much different version, but almost like the zoo um, Gachet fight in terms of rounds. Uh, you know, Goucher was very competitive and did very well and landed some punches, but who was winning those rounds? It was Tim Zhu. That's kind of the way I saw Tyson Fury and Otto Valin. Other than that, his best opponent, his best win is Dominic Brazil, who is way over the hill. And by the way, he, he took Brazil the distance, okay? Uh, Deontay Wilder knocked him out in one. That was, you know, just a freak punch. But Joshua knocked him out in seven. Valin has shown tremendous, I'm sorry, uh, Brazil has shown a tremendous chin because he's such a big guy. He absorbs punches well. 
But um, that's Valin's best win. And, you know, Brazil is three and three in his last six going back to 2016. He's basically a semi-retired fighter the last few years. He fought once in 2018, once in 2019, not at all in 2020, and then once against Valin in 2021. So when that's your best win, dude, I can't say Valin is better than Dillian White. Dillian White just has a much, much better resume. So anyway, that's that's how I would break all that down. <clears throat> all right, I think we can go back to the phones now. Let's do that. I think we got Thad on the line. Let's do this. Uh, Thad, what's up, my brother? How you doing, man? Hey, Mike, great show. I was just going to do some cooking when I was listening to the show, and I heard all the great calls. And, I, and when you're talking boxing about predictions and, and fights that are coming up, I have to chime in. I have to give my, uh, my opinion. Especially a guy like Jack. I like, a, I like Jack. He's a young guy, but being a young guy, you have a lot to learn about the world. And sometimes things aren't exactly how they seem to be. There's things behind the curtain. Like you and I know how the, uh, the Wizard of Oz, he pulls those strings. <laughs> so with that fight with Bivol and Canelo, you know, I would think the same thing if I was looking at it from, from his perspective. But knowing the fact that Canelo's people would have chosen to fight Baturbiev or Joe Smith before Bivol, if Bivol was going to be a problem. And these guys know more than all of us put together, mm. the matchmakers. So seeing Bivol in his last few fights, he changed. He wasn't the same Terminator he was early on. And the level of opposition increased. He was on a nice roll, and then he got tagged by Joe Smith. And, and why I said before on your show that a long time ago, Hector Macho Camacho was an absolute whirlwind, and he ran into a guy named um, Rosario yep. in Madison Square Garden in yep, round yep. six. I remember and that. got absolutely – I was watching on HBO at my aunt's house. I always used to sleep over their house. I said, oh, I love you guys so much. I'd always come over to watch HBO. That's, that's, <laughs> that's why I always say that. <laughs> so um, it was my first – yeah, it was um, – it was, it was on HBO in 86, and he tagged him in round six. And that was the end of the Hector Camacho we all knew. Because mm-hmm. his style changed. And we see Bibble, he's a lot more gun-shy now. He, he isn't coming forward with his punches and, and putting all the power into those punches. And to beat Canelo, you have to hurt the guy. Because we saw, we can't really judge Canelo when he fought Mayweather. He was 23. He was weight drained. Mayweather brought him down to 52. You know, he was green. He barely beat Austin Trout. Um, that was an aberration. You, you can't take that version of Canelo into account. Prime Canelo is pretty much the second Golovkin fight. And we saw Golovkin back up Canelo. Golovkin's back never touched the ropes. Canelo's back touched the ropes all first fight. Mm-hmm. And then in the latter portion of the second fight, if you watch it, that's how you beat Canelo. You have to back him up. You have to gain his respect. And I don't know if Bivol has that in him anymore. He's going to be a problem because of his length and his superb boxing. But Canelo, his style, he's going to come forward and he's going to break you down. And he, Canelo might be the bigger guy because I know he walks around at 200 pounds. Bivol is about, I've stood by Bivol. Mm-hmm. I'm 6'3", 215, and he was very, very small. Very small um, as far as his legs are concerned. And I just 
I don't know why I noticed these things, but I always size people up. Like I stood next to Holyfield coming out of a fight and shook his hand and everything. And, and I was much bigger than Evander. And mm-hmm. this was, uh, this was after the De La Hoya Vargas fight at, at um, Mandalay Bay. And he was about a good two and a half inches shorter than me and maybe, maybe 200 pounds if he was lucky. So a lot of these guys' uh, sizes exaggerated. I think that was another reason why the Canelo team uh, has Bivol up next. Because like I said, if he was the threat, Baturbiev would have been in there. But as it turns out, Baturbiev is the guy that, that would beat Canelo right now if they matched up. That's if why they're waiting him out. still is Baturbiev. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a smart move. I mean, and nobody really knows Baturbiev enough to know that that's what they're doing except for like the, the talking heads in boxing. So with all due respect, Jack, you know, just bet Canelo at minus 400 or actually Canelo by decision. Cause I think that's how it goes. Me too. Other than that, anything is, anything is possible. Um, you know, with this Haney fight, it's going to come down to who the judges are They're If they're flying judges in from Connecticut, the Tim Cheatham's and all those guys, then you know that Haney's going to win on the card. So Combosis would have to step it up and he'd have to stop him, which I think he can. I think it's a 50-50 chance that Combosis can stop Haney because I don't think Haney can make the weight very well. Um, Tyson Fury and White, same thing. He's a 6-1 to favorite for a reason, Tyson Fury. Dillian White against Joseph Parker and uh, a lot of these other guys, you know, he fades late and he should have probably got stopped in that Parker fight if Parker had a little bit more. Fury knocks him out, 11th round. Um, either he, Fury coming forward, he's going to take a little bit more risks, he'll break him down, or if he boxes him. I, I still think the end result is Fury by knockout. Um, the one fight that I'm looking forward to is Katie Taylor versus Serrano. The, the odds are coming down on Serrano. Serrano is now the favorite. Wow. Two years ago, yeah, Serrano is now the favorite. Two years ago, Mike. Uh, I was watching that they were talking about having the fight and the odds came out and Katie Taylor opened as two and a half to one favorite two two about two years ago. And now all of a sudden with all the hype around Serrano after that, those showcase fights, you know, now she's got a lot more claim behind her and people are picking her. So I think that's a Katie Taylor win. Katie Taylor yeah. To me, that's easy money like far and away. There's a lot of people. I look at it like that. That are going to make money on that fight. That bet Taylor. If if Serrano's the favorite, bet Taylor yeah. wins some cash. Like <clears throat> she's only minus one twenty five right now. So basically, it's a pick them. But if you took Katie Taylor, you're getting even money. You're getting if you bet a hundred bucks, you'll win a hundred. So uh, yeah. that's a fight that I'm really looking forward to. And that same night, it's a it's the parlay of the year because you you bet Katie Taylor early and you close it with Shakur Stevenson. Shakur Stevenson is a five to one favorite right now. And by fight time, that's going to be about a nine to one. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a nine to one favorite at fight time. Cause if, <laughs> if we learn anything is, you know, the public's always going to look at, um, you know, the last performances and Valdez's win over Burchelt has not aged well while, um, Shakur Stevenson's victories have aged very well, especially against Nakathelia. Um, again, it's styles make fights, but, uh, Shakur Stevenson is the money guy. The money's behind him. And I don't see any way possible that Valdez wins that fight. Yeah. I, I just don't. I mean, Shakur's faster on his feet. 
he could stay away. He could, he could pull Mayweather and, and just run 12 rounds and, and just pot shot him to death. And, and he's the bigger man. He's, there's just no way Valdez wins that fight. So that's another gimme. If you take your life savings, <laughs> never condone that. But, you know, if you do the parlay that night on April 30th, you, you're going to be a very, very, um, I'm not going to say wealthy, but you're going to be a very happy man. Right. I agree. So uh, I think Shakur I, wins that right on the way. Yeah. And, uh, that, that's boxing people. I mean, it's not always who is perceived to be the best. It's who has the money behind them and who the promotion wants to win. And you have to ask yourself that with the Devin Haney fight, top rank invested a lot in this guy. The zone invested so much in that guy. They want to create another Mayweather or another Crawford on top rank because they need, for lack of a better term, they need a money African-American fighter. And we know this business that it's very uh, ethnic. It's very tribal. And there's a lot of Hispanic and there's a lot of Caucasian, European, American, whatever you want to call it. There really isn't that stalwart African-American on the side of top rank, except for Shakur Stevenson and mm -hmm. well, Crawford Gunn. So they want Haney to fill that void. So you know that the judges coming over in Australia are going to have his back and maybe even the referee. They might even pipe in a, uh, an American referee. So be forewarned on that fight. Uh, just don't look at it like, well, Haney needs a knockout to win. No, Combosis needs a knockout to win that fight. I completely agree. So, yeah. So, you know, you can, um, you know, mull that over. I hope other people call in. I always love hearing other people's perspective far as who they think is going to win the fight because it, it 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 it's like public perception you know espn and all these you know boxing talking heads put out these certain little uh little cherries for people to pick at mm -hmm. and sometimes it's misinformation a lot and, of times and the odds tell it all yeah so uh again i'm you know i'm glad you let me uh call in i wasn't really planning to but uh just had to add that so uh good stuff one Dad. more thing about the the weight Oh, go ahead, go ahead. about weightlifting. If you look at if you look at deadlift, think of it as like hitting the heavy bag. If you're looking at upper body uh, lifts like curls and, and bench press and all that. It's like hitting the speed bag. If hmm. you want to release testosterone and you want to build power, you have to deadlift. There's no doubt about it. And if you do, you should have a spotter with you that, that that's going to help you do it because that's the most dangerous exercise to do by yourself. Yeah, so take it for what it's worth. Good stuff, right. brother. And Thad knows his shit when it comes to weightlifting, guys. Trust me on this. All right, man. Have a good weekend. All right. All right. Thank you now. Yeah, man. Um, Thad knows his shit when it comes to weightlifting. Um, I, I would say deadlift and squat, guys, you got to do it. Particularly, well, for I'm going to talk to two different groups of you out there. Super young guys listening to this. Like a guy like Jack, who I think is like 20. You got to do deadlifts. You got to do squats. If you want to build that, that functional strength uh, in your musculature and get every, your brain and everything talking to, to every other part of your body, right? And build the neuroengrams in your brain and, and all that. Uh, now is a good time to start, but do it the right way. I don't give a shit if you deadlift 135. That is all you need to do if you're doing it correctly. You're going to see other idiots in the gym loading up the bar squatting a quarter of the way down, bending over at the waist, destroying their back. They're going to blow out their back and have like the generated disc by the age of 30 something. Um, don't be that guy. 
Okay. Build up that foundational strength the right way. But then also for you guys listening, if you're over 35, don't forget about this shit. Say, oh, well, I don't need to lift heavy anymore. Um, you don't need to lift as heavy as you once did. Okay. When I deadlift now, I, I just do fucking 315. At most, I might do 405 just a couple times just to do it. But I work out with like 315. That's all I do. Okay. When I, when I squat 225, I might throw a couple uh, 25s on there. So that'd be what? 275. That's it. That's all I do. I don't go crazy heavy. But you got to get it up over your body weight and you got to do those compound movements and you got to get that testosterone going, guys. You, you just have to, uh, especially if you want to compete at all or maintain any kind of strength and, and, and uh, muscle. You guys have seen that dude who's 40 and he looks like he's 55. Got the horseshoe haircut, <laughs> the beer belly, the skinny little arms. You, you've seen that dude, right? You don't want to be that dude. So, yeah, listen to me and what I'm saying. Um, Aaron in the chat. And by the way, I've talked, you guys know what I do, you know, in boxing. I, I talk to strength and conditioning coaches and professional fighters every fucking day about this shit. Okay. So by no means am I saying I'm an expert, but I talk to experts regularly. Trust me on this. Aaron asked, am I going to the fight? I assume Aaron that you're talking about the big one there in uh, your homeland uh, Cambosos and Haney. No, I won't be going to that fight. I'm actually training for my own fight, guys. I got another fight coming up here in Atlanta, May 13th. So you may have noticed my nose is all uh, busted up today. I had uh, some hard sparring last night, and I uh, zigged when I should have zagged and ate a nice uppercut right in the nose. Um, but it didn't break, didn't bleed. It's all good. It's just a little, uh, you know, you break those blood vessels. It gets a little red. Uh, but we put some aloe on it. It's good to go. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm preparing for a fight right now and, um, I might have a couple this summer. We'll see what happens. I, I'm only going to do this next one and then that might be it. I don't know. Cause man, my body is just the, the training is it's just tough right now. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'll do a few more. We'll see what happens. Um, I say Germazian in the chat really does not like Dillian White, really does not like Dillian White. So he's had a bunch of comments in here talking about Dillian White. Um, I'm not going to read all of them, but he, he asked, who is Dillian White beaten besides an old gatekeeper, Chisora? Dude, did you not see his fight against um, the rematch against Povetkin? Like, beat, Povetkin was still a top 10 heavyweight when he beat him. Um, do I have to really pull up his resume again? Jeez. Oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm not going to go through Dillian White's entire freaking resume. Dillian White is one of these guys that really Amer American fans, particularly Wilder protectors, really diminish this guy. For me, listen, Dillian White, I'm not, again, I'm not saying the guy's an elite heavyweight. I'm not saying he's a Hall of Famer, okay? I'm saying he has fought a lot of top heavyweights, dude. He fought Joshua. Uh, he lost that fight, but it doesn't matter if he wins every damn fight, guys. He, look at the guys he's fought. Anthony Joshua, Robert Hellanius. That win aged pretty damn well for him when you look at what Hellanius has done since. Lucas Brown, who you know we found out was juicing, and he iced Lucas Brown, iced him with a left hook. He beat Joseph Parker, who is a top five heavyweight. Um, he beat Derek Chisora a couple times, yes. Oscar Rivas. Undefeated at the time, Oscar Rivas' first loss. Uh, Marius Valk is a decent heavyweight, not a great one, but a big heavyweight with size, another doper. And then he beat Povetkin. So listen, man, I, 
for for if if you look at Deontay Wilder's resume and you look at Dillian White's resume, if you take off on Wilder's resume, if you take off the Tyson Fury and Luis Ortiz fights, Dillian White has a better resume than Deontay Wilder. That should not be a controversial statement. It really shouldn't. It, it's just the truth. All the guys I just named, okay, uh, are better than than Wilder's best wins. Now, and, and you know, Gervaisian in the chat is going to call me a Wilder hater. I'm just telling you the truth, dude. There's this there's this place outside of the United States called Earth. And believe it or not, boxing exists outside the United States. And the fighters from other parts of the world, they matter too. So it's not just an American sport. It was in the 70s when Ali and Foreman and Frazier. Yeah, it was. Okay, even in the 80s and 90s, it was primarily an American sport. It's not anymore, brother. You got you to join the 20, 21st century in the 2020s. This is a global sport, and you have to start crediting these fighters from other parts of the world, dude. And no, I don't just mean Cuba. I mean across the oceans, okay? They matter too. And just because Dillian White's best wins are over guys who aren't necessarily American uh, doesn't diminish that they're good wins. And I say all that, and I add that I, I'm not saying Dillian White's a Hall of Fame guy and an elite heavyweight and all this other stuff. I'm just saying the guy has a pretty decent heavyweight resume, and I'm interested in his fight with Fury. Now, he might stink the joint out and get flattened in three rounds. Okay, then, then the jury's out. But what if he gives Tyson Fury a really good fight? What if you end up getting a really good heavyweight fight, and he ends up giving uh, him just as tough of a fight as Deontay Wilder did, if not even tougher? What does that say? What does that say? It's going to be hard for you to handle, bro. Uh, Hamed asks, Mike, what, what time are Golovkin Murata ring walks? So Eastern time here in the United States, they're around 7.30 to 8 o'clock a.m., okay? So for you guys, I think you're five hours ahead of us. So what would that be? Uh, about uh, almost 1 o'clock p.m. your time, I do believe. But here in the States, on the East Coast, it'd be like 7.30 to 8 in the morning is when the main event ring walks will go on. The card, I think, starts at like 5 a.m. or something. But really, who wants to watch that whole card? That one's all about the main event. Oh, super chat from Survive. He just says, happy Friday, everyone. Love it. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate that. And then we got a couple more super chats. OJ22, thank you. He says, I am from the United States. White is a top five heavyweight and has one of the best resumes at heavyweight. Us fans are haters. You know what? You know what you get? You get the applause. Thank you. Thank you. It's that simple. It's really that simple. Why can't we give credit to fighters from other parts of the world? Why does it have to be that only the American fighters get credit? Or maybe we'll give the Cuban fighters credit because they're in the Americas. I feel like a lot of the wilder protectors, you know, really, really rate Luis Ortiz really, really highly. Uh, you know, he's a Cuban guy and he, he checks certain boxes for them and they got to rate him highly because that's Wilder's only win, you know? So, and the fact that he dropped fury a few times. So did Steve Cunningham, Steve Cunningham dropped fury. You know, I mean, so Wilder accomplished something a few times that Steve Cunningham accomplished before him. Okay. 
Uh, Benjamin says, hit the like, you bastards. <laughs> I don't know if you misspelled that on purpose, bastards, or if you meant to just say bastards. I'm looking here at my keyboard, dude. The A and the I are really far from each other. So I think you meant that. Bastards. I don't know what that means, but yeah. Awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Uh, Sam with another super chat. Thank you, Sam. I appreciate it, brother. He says, White is only 6'3", Fury is 6'9". The size will be way too much for White, and Fury gets better every fight. Now, that is an interesting comment, and I do tend to agree with you, although they exaggerate Fury's height by an inch or so. He's not really 6'9". He is a big guy, though. Um, he's probably 6'7", 6'8", um, and White's probably 6'2". But, you know, White did fight Aldo Valin. He has fought a couple of tall guys that I think will help prepare him just a little bit. But of course, Tyson Fury's skill set is on a whole other level. Listen, I, I favor Fury to win the fight. I kind of see it the way Chad, or I'm sorry, Thad does, where you know Thad says that Fury should wear down and stop Dillian White late. On the surface, that's how I see this fight playing out. It's heavyweights, anything can happen. You know, you could get thrown some variable at any moment. But on the surface, that's how I see it. I see Fury controlling things and wearing down and stopping Dillian White late. I think he's going to want to turn in a really good performance. I actually think he was nowhere near 100% for that third fight with Wilder. I think he's going to be in much better shape for this fight with Dillian White. That third fight with Wilder knocked off a little rust for him and a little bit of COVID blubber and fat because Fury's got back tits, right? So the muffin top and all that muffin sludge, I think he's going to work. He's worked some of that off, right? Because he's going to be more active going into this Dillian White fight. So I think we're going to see a, an even better Tyson Fury than we saw in that third fight with Wilder. And he, Fury wasn't great that night. I think we're going to see more of the Tyson Fury from the Wilder rematch in what? What was that? 2020? I think that's what we're going to see against Dillian White. So White definitely has his work cut out for him. <clears throat> Another super chat again from Survive. Thanks again so much. He says, good luck on your fight, Mike. I'm rooting for you. Thank you very, very much. And I'll tell you guys a little bit about it as we get closer to it. Um, but it's another charity event. Um, amateur boxing, um, USA Boxing is sanctioning it. So it's an official fight. Uh, it's not like a smoker or something that's off the record. It's, it's a real deal. And um, we're going to be raising some money for some folks here in town once again, which I think is really cool. And that's why I decided to do it. So if um, if I could just stop having um, I'm having little issues with my back right now, my back. So um, hopefully that works itself out because it's a pain in the ass. <laughs> you guys like the muffin sludge <laughs> comment? A couple of you guys in the in the chat talking about muffin sludge, dude. Tyson Fury's got. I mean, there's muffin top, but like he's got muffin sludge. I'm trying to think who coined that term where I heard it because I heard it on another podcast. And um, it might have been the Boxing Rant guys. I, I, but don't quote me on that. But I think that's where I heard that term. And I laughed my ass off for like 10 minutes. I'm like, I'm taking that shit. Um, but he does have muffin sludge. And when, when he takes a punch, there was that uh, little video clip of when Wilder hit him with like a straight right that dropped Fury in the last fight they had. And in slow motion, when you see the punch land, you just see gyrations of gelatinous fat go all the way from his bald dome all the way down to the titties, the back titties, 
the muffin sludge, the muffin top. I mean, and then he's got this tiny little butt and skinny little legs. He's just built very funny. But boy, can that man box. Holy hell, can that man box. All right, let's go back to the phones. <clears throat> 631, you are on the air. What's up? What's up, Mike? It's Keith. How are you? Good. How you doing, Keith? Good, good, good. Um, just a couple points. Yeah, you made a, you know, you and I made a good point. Especially for men, it's important that we squat and really get that testosterone release to keep our vitality. It's uh, really important to do that and uh, build that functional strength. Um, a couple of thoughts on the Haney Cambosis fight. Um, you, you, got, you guys, people made a good point on the last call. Haney, I think, is very. I think is. I don't think he's necessarily chinny. I just think he doesn't have the his like the sturdy underneath in that 135. He apparently walks around 150 plus, and the weight cuts the lock for him. So, I I, I can see Haney outboxing Cambosis. But at the same time, I think Cambosos can outfight Haney. And he has the speed to get to Haney's chin, whereas like a Jojo Diaz and Linares couldn't pull the trigger anymore. And uh, Cambosos can do that. I still favor Haney to win, but Cambosos is a live underdog just because he has the speed. And he doesn't have the power that obviously Giofimo Lopez has, but he's got enough pop to definitely hurt Haney uh, and, and get his, definitely get his respect and put him mm-hmm. on the back foot. Yeah, I completely um, agree. As far, yeah, I mean, it's still, it's still a, I still, you know, it's still a tough fight to pick. Um, Bad made a great point as far as if they do import American judges, Cambosa um, has to fight that, even though he's funding in his hometown. Uh, but I still think it's going to be a very competitive fight. And I personally, I know on the Tuesday, on Monday show, we had a couple people calling about the Lomachenko situation. I, I would say I'm a pretty big Loma fan, but to be honest with you, I'm happy that how things kind of played out because it, it just brings clarity to the lightweight division after the WBC's bullshit with the, uh, with the franchise title. So it kind of will give us boxing fans clarity after the next two fights. Hopefully they don't draw as to who the unified lightweight champ is. And then, you know, maybe Loma fights the winner of that. This whole, so did Haney, I missed it. I've been kind of out of loop with boxing, but did Haney just, I guess, sign with top rank? He left. Yeah. He left, um, he left Matchroom. Well, Matchroom wow. kind of dropped okay. him. Matchroom kind of dropped him and, and their contract was over and they did not want to resign him. Matchroom and DeZone lost a shitload of money on Devin Haney. They grossly overpaid him. So it is what it is. Yeah. And they, they seem to have a thing for that with American fighters. Like, yes. I guess, like, what that was saying too, they're trying to get the next American, African American fighter, but. Andre and, and Haney just don't sell or they weren't promoting it properly. Um, so they invested a lot of money into them and it just hasn't been working out. I, I don't see maybe top rank will do a better job of building up Haney. Good. I mean, I think he's a talented fighter, but you know, like everyone else said, he's kind of had the, the golden path laid for him. Um, I don't think he's wanted to face Lomachenko, even though, you know, he's, he said that he has. Um, but I think Eddie Hearn's a great, uh, great promoter when it comes to promoting the sword on the larger scale and globally. But I hate the fact that he likes to negotiate through the media and and plays the he said she said stuff uh, through the media. I think it's stupid and looks bad. Yeah, I, I hear you, man. I, I agree. Then, uh, I agree with all that. Yeah, um, and the other thing is the 
Tree of White. I'm actually kind of disappointed. I'm disappointed just because uh, I thought it was going to be a great promotion just because both of them like to talk shit and maybe I missed it, but I know that White was at the first press conference and, you know, they it, it kind of <laughs> disappointed me with that, but it's really, in my opinion, it's a serious fight to lose. He's got the length. He's got he's got pretty much everything on his side. He's got a great chin. Um, only way that White beats is if Jerry just comes in in worse shape than he did in the third Wilder fight and and White catches lightning in a bolt and knocks him out, but I, I just don't see that happening. I see Fury either staying on the outside and wearing him down or just maybe doing what he did in the second Wilder fight and breaking him down, but uh, White is a lot more sturdier than Wilder in my in my opinion, but I don't I don't see that. I don't see White winning that fight. And I, I hope we get to see the Joshua or even a Usyk Fury. I think that will be an even more intriguing matchup. Yeah, I hope we get there. Um I agree with you. I, I think that Fury should win, should beat White, and should look good doing it. Because again, all the rust that he had and everything was in that third Wilder fight. And he should it went right back into camp in pretty good shape for Dillian White. You're right, though, about the promotion. It's been a lackluster promotion, especially for a fight that's a pay-per-view here in the United States. Uh, we've barely heard anything from these guys. But what that tells me is that they both know they're in it and they're both training really, really hard. I'm expecting these guys to show up looking in shape. I really am. Yeah, I mean, hopefully we get that. And then hopefully, again, like with the lightweight division, we have a unification between the winner of the Joshua Usyk fight and then the winner of the yeah. White fight. Um, do you see Joshua being any more competitive in the Usyk fight or not? I, I think so. I think a lot of people are just assuming, you know, Usyk's just going to plow right through him. Look, man. Usyk has been in Ukraine. He hasn't been in the gym. He hasn't been training. He's been over there dealing with that situation. Meanwhile, Joshua has been in the gym and, you know, he's working with a new coach and all that stuff, but he, he's coming in hungry for this fight. He is undefeated in rematches, at least so far. Um, I think he's going to be yeah. super motivated. And look, man, I mean, this is not going to be an easy night for Usyk. The first fight wasn't easy either. People forget Joshua landed some shots and had some moments. And he's a much bigger, stronger guy. So this is going to be highly competitive, this rematch. Yeah, and, and, and Joshua, we can still say, is a money man as well, too, as far as, you know. Yep, uh, there is that. Yeah, and I mean, my last point is it just like, we all know this, but the state of boxing, it just, it sucks when, oh, so-and-so signed with Top Rank or so-and-so signed with PBC, now we can get these fights. Yeah. It's just like, you know, we, everyone, is, we want the best to fight the best. And hopefully, you know, we get to that day when that will happen. And regardless of social media uh, followers or whoever the promoter is, you know, whoever, whoever has the best skill set, there's one unified ranking. So. I hear you, man. Anyway, Mike, you. that's my call. Appreciate it. Um, and uh, good luck on your fight as well, too. I'll call in again soon. All right. Thanks a lot, brother. Have a good weekend. You too. Take care. All right, uh, let me get to some of these super chats. CJ super chat. I completely overlooked you, brother. I'm so sorry. CJ Duggan says Will Smith ducking the Chris Rock rematch. I can't believe none of you guys have talked about this. Um, I thought one, at least one of you guys would mention that shit. Um, maybe you're just burnt out on it like me. I, I, I had a little fun with that the first 48 hours after it happened. And now like you guys, I am sick of seeing the fucking memes with Will Smith and Chris Rock. I feel like Half the country was on it the first 
day or so. And then the other half, it took him like three or four days to figure out what happened. And then they started commenting. Um, I, to be honest with you guys, I had no idea the Oscars was going on. I don't watch any of that bullshit. Listen, I dwell in the media space. I live in that space. I work in that space. And I have now for you know well over 10 years. And the entertainment industry is very broad. And there's a lot of different segments. And I've worked in different parts of it. TV, radio, commercials. Uh, I've done some print modeling, media work. Um, you know, And I do right now with Ring. I've done a lot of different stuff in the entertainment industry. And I know those people. I deal with them all the time. I kind of feel like an outsider dealing with them. And there are some good people in the business, obviously, but man, there's a lot of just bags of shit. And I just know how those people are, especially the elites that control it. I don't want to watch these people sit in a room and congratulate themselves on how fucking amazing they are. So I just have no interest in watching those shows, right? So I had no idea the Oscars even happened. But Monday when I logged into Twitter and started tweeting, a couple of you guys mentioned it. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And then you guys explained it to me and I looked it up, saw the video, blah, blah, blah. It is funny. And some of the memes have been outstanding as it relates to Jada Pinkett. And, and then there's all these parallels and all these different dynamics that people are, you know, looking into as they look at that situation. There's a million different ways to see it. And what does this mean about our society? This, that, the other, who was right, who was wrong. What does it say about the Academy that, they just let Will Smith do that and then sit back down. He physically assaults a dude, verbally assaults a dude, sits there, and this 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 room of cowards gives this dude a standing ovation What a few minutes later when he wins an award. It just shows you how delusional and separated from reality and like the real world all those people are. And it's why I just don't watch it. I, I got to say, I'll just say this. I think Chris Rock is classy as fuck. And I think, you know, he's a tiny little dude. He's like five foot two or something, 120 pounds. He's a tiny little man. And for Will Smith to go up there and slap him like that, that slap wasn't meant for Chris Rock. That slap was meant for someone else. And I ain't going to say who. I think you guys know who I'm getting at. That Will Smith is an angry, angry man. It's 100% his fault. That dude needs to get control of his life. And it starts by getting control of his <clears throat> wife. All right, we're going to leave that one alone. We're going to leave that one alone. Let me get back to these super chats. Um, let's see. I want to make sure I'm not missing anything here because uh, I know I missed a couple. I know I missed a couple. Uh, we got another one from Survive. Thanks again, man. You're awesome. He says, uh, thank you for boxing for a good cause. You're doing great work. I appreciate that, man. And again, I'll talk more about it as we get closer to it, guys. Um, one of you guys in the chat said, don't overtrain, Mike. You know, I think that's been my problem. I've been in camp now for three weeks, and I've had this nagging injury, that little muscle in your back that's just above the um, uh, the tailbone, kind of like the start of your back, you know, like lumbar region, right on the side. Uh, that little, it's just been strained, and I cannot get it to freaking heal. And I've taken a day off here and there, but I've been trying to get in two-a-days and stuff. Uh, so I'm just trying to figure out how I can freaking get that to heal, man, so I can um, train a little harder. But I've been going pretty hard. I lost like 11 pounds in like three weeks. It's amazing. It just falls right off of me. Sam A with another super chat. He says, fighting in Australia, Haney will have to deal with dirty tactics if they let Cambosos rough him up. It may rattle him if he can't return to dirty stuff. Uh, well, thanks for the super chat again, Sam. But um, 
Look, I understand why you say that. And a lot of people look at the Manny Pacquiao uh, horn fight, the Pacquiao horn fight, right? The Jeff horn fight. And that's the only example they can really think of as far as, you know, because look, Jeff Horn was unbelievably dirty in that fight. And the ref let him get away with a lot of nasty shit. There was a 10-8 round there for Pacquiao that I think all three judges almost, you know, I don't know how they scored that round exactly, but I know none of them had a 10-8. Um, that fight would have gone very differently outside of that scenario. Top rank did not protect Manny Pacquiao in that situation, but Manny was out. He was on his way out with top rank. They took Horn way too lightly. Horn, to his credit, showed up and made it a tough fight as much as he could. But you saw Horn's level when he got in there against Terrence Crawford, right? Um, this is a completely different scenario, guys. Completely different. And the establishment and everything else. Look, I'm not saying that Jeff Horn was this establishment fighter against Pacquiao. Obviously, that's not the case. It was just kind of a perfect storm of fuckery, insanity, and timing, and top rank not really taking care of their fighter in Pacquiao. That's not going to be the case this time around. I think we're going to see a very different fight. I think it's unfair to just say every fight in Australia is dirty and the judges are bad. Basing it off of Pac Pacquiao and, and, and Horn, I don't think that's fair. Uh, Gramazian in the chat says, yeah, Pac Horn was hard to watch, dirty fight. Yeah, that was a really dirty fight. And I think that um, it just, you guys can't base every single opinion you have about Australian boxing on that one fight. It was kind of an isolated incident. And Twal makes a good point here. Cambosos fights nothing like Horn. Thank you. Yeah, I mean. Uh, and then let's see. Benjamin says, for your back problem, take a hot bath, invest money in a professional massage, and take a, a week off, a whole week? It's going to oh, it's gonna kill my camp, dude. Or do you want to fight with a compromised back? <sighs> now you sound like my wife. But I know you're right. Um, Man. So, look, guys, I, I, I sparred last night. I, I took today off, uh, although also another problem here is I'm building a, a garden for my wife out back and I'm moving you know, blocks and I'm moving soil and stuff like that to build her a thing. Um, so maybe that's part of the problem, too. Maybe I should uh, maybe I should take a day or two off. But um, I got I got in some real good sparring yesterday. Um, I feel pretty good. I feel skill wise. We're going to be good. But. Man, Benjamin says, yes, a week. Oh, my God, a week, dude. Oh, I'll feel terrible if I take a week off. Hey, look, Benjamin, I'll think about it. I'll think about it. All right, let me go to the phone. We're going to take one more call, guys. We'll be going for over an hour here. But CJ's on the line. He's been waiting for a while. And I want to get CJ on. Um, CJ's my friend. He's a good dude. And he always has great stuff. I want to hear what he's got to say about everything uh, coming up on the schedule. So we'll bring him on from Las Vegas from Sin City, my man CJ. What's up? How you doing, man? Montero, good Friday to you and the folks in the chat. You too, bro. In, man. You know, hey, I ain't going to hold you too long, boss, because this is what we're about. You've been doing this for about a little bit over an hour. So, you know, yes, sir. to have an extended session on the Friday. Uh, I am super thankful that the Castano-Charlo fight got moved to the West Coast and especially the location where they're looking to have the fight at. Uh, there was a link that I sent you over 
I think it was last week or either this week of that documentary. And shouts out to that dude, uh, Rich the Fight Historian. I mean, he did a great job with that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well done. And he's got a lot of fighters over there. You know, that I've taken a look at some of the other ones, and uh, you know, it puts some certain things into perspective. You know, and like even the the documentary that they did on the old man. Um, besides the fact of if anybody ever wants to truly recognize some of the shadiness that happened in the fight game and in the promotional game back in the 80s, uh, you know, I look forward to somebody really doing one of those deep dives on Don King. Uh, I'm not going to completely disparage him, but I think he, going back and like, honestly, dude, I think, what, I don't know if you've seen that there's, there's a show right now called like Secrets of Playboy where they're talking about Hugh Hefner and all the fucked up shit he did. Yeah. I, I, I think it's because he's dead. I think when Don King dies, not that I'm wishing that upon him, of course, but I'm just saying when he dies, I think there's going to be all sorts of shit that come out about this dude. I'm telling you. Yeah, I can believe it. Just because, you know, when a lot of that stuff was going on, you know, I was a kid. Uh, and not to go too far into the week with it, but, you know, my, like Montero, was like my stepdad was a, a titleist in the 80s and between that Holmes and Tyson era. And when you're a kid, you know, you, you kind of just look at it in those rose-colored glasses and that adolescent eyes. And, you know, watching that documentary, it was it was tough. Not so much because, like, I knew that the old man had, you know, taken some losses and wasn't always dedicated to the gym. But then, you know, you kind of juxtapose that to some of the personal conversations that he would have with me when I was a kid. And then, like, even just find out, you know, some of just the snake moves of some of the negotiations. Just uh, as, like, you know, I ain't going to take, you know, too much into it, but that whole thing of when, when my grandpa ended up passing and, you know, King went there and did the full-on dramatics of laying on the casket <laughs> crying louder than anybody else, like my grandmother or any of that. And then when Greg came out from uh, being an amateur to the pros, you know, he signed with Butch Lewis. And Butch Lewis compared to King was like a damn saint compared to King. But then that deal that King and Butch Lewis ended up doing you know, there's a reason why, you know, you've seen a lot of those fighters talk about they really didn't make any money in the heavyweight era when they were part of King's stable. Because the deal was that Butch Lewis got a quarter million dollars um, from King. But then the extra hook was is that Butch got a quarter million dollars for every title fight that Greg took in his career while he was signed to King. And, and real quick, know, just to interrupt you, CJ, I just want to make, make yeah, sure everyone yeah. in the chat knows we're talking about Greg Page. All right, just I don't know if we've mentioned by, by name that that's you know CJ's related to 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 Greg Page, so so I just want to make sure we get the name out there that that's who we're talking about. Anyway, go ahead, man. Sorry. Oh no worries. Yeah, and like I said the um the fight historian you just dropped that documentary on it. You know, well done, and like even some of that footage, you know, like I hadn't I hadn't seen the the boom fight, you know, when he actually went into the coma and ended up you know going on there down with Brock the last couple of years because. It's uh when it hits that close to home, it's a little bit tough to see it. But you know, I still had my chance to be able to speak with him, you know, before he checked in and went on home. But just knowing that, you know, those contracts back in the day that King used to do was real nasty. Uh, and I got to see it from both sides of it, not only with my my stepdad being an actual fighter, but then my mom worked for King in the office, uh, you know, with promotions and, and site management and she also worked for King Tyson during that time. And I didn't know that. I was going and I was doing some yeah, you never told me that. Wow, four or five years ago. Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's Vegas, man. That's Vegas. Like that's me. Like, well, I I enjoy the fight game because I'm a fan of it. But you know, the fight game helped put food on the table and helped us have clothes on our back. And, and mm -hmm. I always have a respect for it, even though it's 
took away a lot, you know, uh, it's just still, when it's done right, it's the, the greatest sport in the world, you know? Yeah. And like I said, I was over at my mom's house a few years ago doing some cleaning up in her, her garage and some old DKP contracts, you know, with the old carbon paper, the red, white, green carbon paper. And when you started to see some of those splits, man, it's just, it probably ain't necessarily here for like this particular call, but you know, either when I get out to Atlanta or you get to this way for the, the Canelo fight, you know, uh, first round on me too. Cool. I, guess, uh, I might be able to at least be able to pull one of those, those copies so you can actually take a look. But All you right. know, they, they used to make jokes about it that, you know, King got paid first, second, third. They weren't lying. Um, and that's just tough. You know, all those advanced papers and, and taking money on advances for camps and all that, you know, you can, you can see why fighters ended up being, you know, disillusioned with the sport during that time. Um, but the thing that they can't ever take away from him, man, was that you know, during apartheid, he was willing to go and, and take a fight to go win the belt. Even if King in the, the back kind of did some puppet stringing and, and pulled uh, Bay from not being able to go get the fight and sent uh, Greg out there. But it's, uh, it's wild. The, the part, though, that I looped the two between, you know, watching that doc and then watching or seeing that Cassano and Charlo got moved out here to Cali is a lot of those fights that they were showing highlights of. You know, they're showing, which was probably the most memorable place that I ever watched fights at growing up as a kid, was the old Seasons Outdoor Arena. I, mm. I saw dozens of fights, you know, on credential watching out there. And that's what, when prize fighting is done the right way to me, like, I go back to thinking of the Caesars, you know, Outdoor Arena. So the war grounds are, depending on who you, you know, whichever uh, pugilist ends up talking about, the, the Carson Stub Hub, Dignity, Hell home depot center or whatever they want to call it now like the, the outdoor venue when it's done right with a fight out here it's my most favorable place to go watch a fight on the west coast yeah and i think that that's an excellent place for them to be putting that fight for Cassano and charlo and you know may it's going to be really good weather and it's not a huge venue so if they end up doing a true sellout it'll be actual tickets that move um trying to justify a reason to get there um, just not only because you know uh well actually we ended up Catching up and the first time I actually saw you in person was at uh, the Charlo fight when he fought Jay, uh, the big Charlo when he fought J Rock. That was at, uh, so I, I like watching USC. Yeah, Galen said Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, you know, like I've seen the, both Charlo fights, you know, in person a couple times and the actors outside, they, I like to see how they actually perform, you know, in person and they usually bring a pretty good crowd out. Um, so, you yeah, know, SoCal, Fight Capital. You know, currently, I mean, they call it Fight Capital World. When the fights make sense, it's, you know, then yes, we do it pretty good here. But not every fight's meant to be in Vegas. So it's a good thing if they put that fight out there. And it's probably like the best to me, the best fight that Showtime's putting on as far as true 50 50. And it's not going to be any real tilt of who they're trying to get yeah. brought across the line. Um, you know, is Spencer New Guy's fight? That's going to be a good fight. But I just don't. I don't know what Spence we're going to get. I know he's looking in great shape and all that, but there's going to eventually be a return on the diminished skills and, and issues of what he's had in these prior years. Um, you know, injury on top of injury, and then excluding what happened with the accident, something's going to eventually come out that's going to show where he is currently as a fighter. Now, Ugas may not be the fighter to bring it out of him, but even if it's a tougher fight, the likelihood of them trying to really put that Bud Spence fight together goes farther and farther away. Unless Spence comes through looking like a complete war machine, it's not looking good for that fight to happen at least to 47. So right. I, I do. I just like the Cassano Charlo fight better than, than any of the other fights. Um, beyond that, man, I, I hope that you end up, you know, getting yourself in order for this fight coming up. Those deadlifts, they are crucial. It's just 
stuff getting older, man, getting into the forties, man, it becomes a lot tougher to, to dedicate know, to, like the leg work and all that. You start I know. having to find other ways to get your squats in, you know, goblets and all that, but it's it's necessary, especially to keep the testosterone up and just to have a full, you know, core workout. Um, yep. you know, but even the row work, man, the row work is eventually gonna start taking some uh some wear and tear on you. So yep. the the chat has said it right to you know, taking a couple days off. I mean a week to be defined as a work week or a full week. So five days, seven days, either way, you're still technically doing a week, but you gotta, you gotta do it, especially if you're looking to take a couple fights on going during the summer run. But if you end up fighting through the summer, I know I've got some East Coast travel I gotta do in, um, later on in the year. So if, if, if it's Hell any yeah. other time later on during that summertime, you know, uh, I'm gonna come through, show support. Hell yeah, man. That'd be awesome. Yeah. And there's a chance I might be fighting in a couple different States. I mean, we got some things in the works. My body just has to hold up. If my body holds up, I might be fighting in Detroit uh, for Crunk because I, I got something working. I'm working out with them, which would be fucking awesome. I got a few different things in the works, man. So uh, I'll definitely let you know, brother. Yeah, if you can get out here for one of them, that'd be awesome. Good deal. Yeah, with that, right, I'll go ahead and wrap this one up, man. Y'all all be safe out there this weekend. always appreciate the pound being able to get in and have a few words with you. And all the folks listening and you know tuning in, y'all stay safe out there. A lot of crazy stuff going on out in the world, so do your best to just do right by others and stay out of the shit. Yes, sir. All right, man. Have a great weekend, right, brother. You go, Tell your betters half. I said hi, man. Later. All right. Got you. All right. now. There he goes. Um, Chad asked me what my ring walk song is. You know what, dude? I don't know yet. I'm still, I'm still contemplating. I'm still contemplating. Um, I got a couple in my head. I got a couple in my head. I was, uh, I was actually doing road work last Sunday. And to CJ's point, I've, I have, I stopped doing that five mile shit. I've been running like two and a half miles, and then I do sprints. I run a couple miles just to warm up, maybe two and a half, and then I do three, three minute rounds of sprints. Right. Even though I'm going to be fighting two minute rounds, I'm, I'm training and sparring everything three minute rounds right now. Um, cause I just want to have that wind, you know, the sprints are great. Uh, man, they whoop your ass. They whoop your ass. Anyway, when I was doing road work Sunday, uh, G Depp special delivery came out and I was like, Hmm, this one might be good. This one might be good. Cause you know, I'm thinking special delivery uh, right here, <laughs> you know? So I'm thinking that might work. Um, but I got a couple in mind. So, yeah. I don't know. We'll have to see. And then Chad. Oh, yeah. You mentioned Detroit. Yeah. Because uh, I know you're right. You're right across the water there. Uh, you'd have to come out for that one, man. I was actually talking to my guy, John LePac, up at Crunk yesterday. And we were talking about that. So, um, look, it's all preliminary. Again, I could blow out my damn knee tomorrow. And this could all be over, guys. So, I don't want to. I feel like. You know, for that last fight I did, it was a very specific thing for my brother and it was for my family and everything, kind of for my mental sanity. This would just be um, just I want to show some more of what I can do because I, I didn't I didn't fight as well as I could have last year. I had there's a lot going on. I got so much more to show you guys that I can do. Uh, so I've thought about it. And I've since that fight, I've had so many different promoters and people from different gyms call me and say, dude, you know, we'd love to have, we're having this event, having that event. So um, my wife told me this year is it because we want to start having kids. You know, we want to just 
move forward and, you know, training and doing two a days and all this stuff. You can't do that and do some of the other things we want to do. So um, I also am turning 43 in June. There's that too. So, you know, I, I'm considering it and I'm talking to different people, um, but there's several different cities. Nashville is a possibility. Detroit is a possibility. Of course, Atlanta. Uh, so I will clue you guys in as we get there. But for right now, the only thing officially going down is May 13th here in Atlanta. Specifically for those of you who um, who follow me, you guys know Buckhead Fight Club. I've covered a lot of their shows. I've done commentary for the last shows they've had there. That is where this event's going to be. Uh, it's another charity event. The organization uh, doing it, they work with uh, Parkinson's patients. They actually have a boxing team that works with folks who have Parkinson's and they do training with them to, to help them. It, it's just part of the therapy for these guys. Uh, so they're putting on the event, which is really super cool, man. So I'll get you guys some more info. Um, and then of course, if I can get video and any of that stuff, we'll get you guys uh, all that. So anyway, that's what's up. I'm going to, um, I want to rest my back. Damn it. I want to do road work tomorrow. I'm probably going to spar Sunday. I'm probably still going to spar. All right. I'll do that. But I'm probably, maybe I'll take a day or two off. I just, I can't take too long off because um, I'll start to feel like I'm falling behind. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, guys, that's it, man. This was a great Friday wrap up. And we're getting it in, uh, what, hour and a half, 90 minutes for you guys. So I enjoyed it. I hope you guys did too. Hope you have a great weekend. Enjoy the March Madness. And I'll see you at uh, TNC Monday, all right? And we got a bunch of stuff to look forward to to preview next week. I'll see you at the fights. Have a great weekend.